you to everyone who participated in our service this evening. Uh, just a reminder, of course, next Sunday is Thanksgiving Sunday, and I hope that you will be coming prepared to participate. Uh, I plan to have even a shorter devotional than last year, so you're going to have uh, enough time to uh, speak, but if you don't act early, we very well may run out of time again. So uh, be ready to come and to share and to, to give honor and glory to God. Tonight we continue looking at the new heaven and the new earth, and we begin looking at the new Jerusalem. I say begin because there is more to it than what we are going to cover this evening, but we are going to begin looking at the new Jerusalem. And I also want to thank you for coming back tonight. I know it's uh, getting colder and it's dark and all of those things, but uh, thank you for persevering and being out uh, to uh, hear the Word of God and to fellowship with people of like precious faith. So introduction, two weeks ago we considered that in the future there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Tonight we consider the new Jerusalem of this new heaven and new earth. Theme verses, Revelation 21, 1 and 2. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. The introduction to the New Jerusalem gives us the essentials of our understanding of the city. First, the city is a transformed city. It's referred to as the New Jerusalem. It replaces the old and earthly Jerusalem with now a new and heavenly Jerusalem. It is a city quite different from any that we have experienced up until this time. The city is holy. Notice Revelation 21, verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It is holy in that it is set apart for God and his people, thus a sanctified or consecrated city. Uh, to be holy can have two connotations, either that which is absolute pure or that which is consecrated, set apart, devoted. And uh, both of those would apply. But first of all, it is consecrated for God and his people. Notice Revelation twenty-one twenty-four, And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And then Revelation 21, 9, And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven plagues and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show you the bride the Lamb's wife. Two, it is a holy city in that it is undefiled. There is no sin in this city. Revelation 21, 27. And nothing in unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
So this is a city that is only going to be occupied and visited by people who are regenerate, who are born again. So we're looking at our eternal state, and it is one, of course, in which non-believers do not participate. And D, the city is from God, meaning that it is not constructed or or erected by human hands. And he showed me, uh, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, showed me that great city, the whole Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. So this is God's city. He provides it. He makes it, if you will. He builds it. So the structure of the New Jerusalem. The city is built around the 12 tribes of Israel. So there is a metaphorical sense to this city, and there's a very real sense to this city. There's both metaphorical and literal. In Revelation 21, 12, and 13, it says, And had a wall great high and twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. So there are twelve main entrances to this city, described as the New Jerusalem, and over each one of those entrances is listed one of the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. B. The city is built upon the foundation of the twelve apostles. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb of God. For what is most significant about this city is its inhabitants. And it is depicting that the inhabitants of this city are those that are built upon the nation of Israel, the twelve tribes, and then the work of the apostles and all the believers thereafter. So these are people who have come to faith as a result of uh, Israel and the church of God. See, the church is said to be built upon the prophets and the apostles, Ephesians 2.20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now here's the metaphorical use, where the church is referred to as a building. Uh, We are a building for God. Notice D. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art... uh, uh, here was the importance of people in the building of, of God's church. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That came into the question. Uh, Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi and asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and other Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He saith unto Peter, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said unto him, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That brings us up to Matthew sixteen seventeen. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon, Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. So Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He's the most significant point of the foundation in the building of the church, but then refers to Peter as uh, the rock. Peter means rock. 
And so here he is, and he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, the Protestant church over the years has gotten a little nervous about that statement because of the emphasis of the Catholic church and and the emphasis they put on, on Peter in founding the church at Rome. And so it's pretty common, as you read in commentaries, that they want to make the rock the statement that, that Peter makes. Uh, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And upon this rock, that statement, I will build my church. But I think any fair view of looking at this and corresponding chapter, he's talking about Peter himself. We don't have to shy away from that. We don't have to be afraid of that. The Word of God says that we are built upon the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. And so God is going to greatly use Peter. And he does. He does. God greatly uses Peter. Peter is the primary uh, instrument of reaching the Jewish people in the New Testament era. Paul is sent to the Gentiles. And he's the primary instrument for ministering to the Gentiles. God used these two men in a very powerful and a very dramatic way. And even in the new heaven and new earth, even after all these things are passed away, their role is still celebrated. Their value is still appreciated. And uh, there is a continuation somehow of our uh, usefulness, if you will, for the kingdom's sake into all eternity future. I don't know exactly how to put that with the idea that the former things are passed away and don't come in remembrance any longer, but somehow those two ideas have to be gelled and, and woven together that there is significance to our uh, work for Jesus Christ, not only during the millennial kingdom, but for all eternity. All eternity. And so there's this celebration of the people of God and the way that God has used people to build his kingdom. 1 Corinthians 3.9 For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. So here the, the church is referred to as the, the building of God, the place where God inhabits, the place where God lives. Other places, the temple. We are the temple of God, our bodies individually and as a, a people collectively. In the New Testament, we are the church. We think of the church sometimes as a building. We think of the church as the people of God. Those metaphors continue on into the new uh, heaven and new earth. Three, the measurements of the new Jerusalem. The city is more than adequate for its purpose. And one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And the city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as its width. And he measured the city with a rod, 1,500 miles its length, width, and height are equal. And he measured the wall 72 yards, according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. The city is 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles wide. 
The walls are 216 miles thick. We are to get a view of an immense city. By the way, um, where it says that uh, it is 1,500 yards by human measurement. What does that mean? Well, in some ways, it's an oxymoron uh, because uh, it's translating cubits as, as yards. Okay, So when we think of a yard, we have an exact measurement. It's 36 inches. But uh, in the ancient world, they would use a measurement of a cubit. A cubit is the length from your elbow to your fingertip. That's a, that's, a, that's a cubit. And obviously, people have different measurements. Uh, and so, a cubit varies. It's an uh, imprecise terminology. But you understand that this is a pretty amazing building. They, it is far greater than the earthly Jerusalem ever was. Because without saying. Number four. The materials of the new Jerusalem are befitting the excellence of its ruler. The city is in keeping with the magnificence of God. And the material of the wall was jasper. And the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, third chalcedony. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, sardix. The sixth, sardius. The seventh, crystallite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, uh, chrysophrase. The eleventh, jacinth. The twelfth, amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Why such an ornate city? It is to depict the awesome and greatness of God. One of the ways in which kings manifested their glory and showed their authority throughout the ages has been to adorn their palace and their city, the capital city, with great riches. If you remember uh, in the time of Solomon, it says that silver was as nothing. Uh, They didn't even worry about silver in Solomon's day. Everything was covered with gold. And one of the mind-boggling things to me when I read the Old Testament, I read about Solomon's throne, and it was a throne made of pure ivory, but then covered in gold. That never made any sense to me. Why are you going to Take something that is made out of pure ivory and then cover it up with gold. And what it is, is just an almost absurd uh, extravagance. That Solomon was so rich and his kingdom so prosperous that he could do that if he wanted to. He He could take something that is of great, great value, such as uh, a purely ivory throne, and then covered all up with 
with gold when it could have used a cheaper material and then cover that with, with gold. But you see, he was a magnificent king. So when we think about this city, it's to depict the magnificence of God. A. In the Old Testament, the temple was magnificent for it was to represent the dwelling place of God. And David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord shall be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all lands. Therefore now I will make preparation for it. So David made ample preparations before his death. Second Chronicles 2.5 And the house which I build is great, for great is our God above all gods. But who is able to build him in a house, seeing the heaven of heavens cannot contain him? Who am I then that I should build him a house, save only to burn sacrifice before him? We've kind of lost this concept uh, today. Uh, a building to demonstrate the magnificence of God. But uh, if you think of the temple in the Old Testament, it certainly was gorgeous, incredible, nothing like it. And then you think upon uh, the medieval period and prior, when you had these incredible cathedrals built. I haven't had the privilege to... uh, tour Europe, and I haven't seen the Sistine Chapel. I haven't seen some of these incredible edifices. But, you know, think of Michelangelo commissioned uh, to paint, uh, you know, the top of uh, the cathedral. These were just immensely beautiful buildings. Why? Because they were a place where God was to be worshipped. A place where God was to be held in high regard and view. Today, um, churches tend to be built with very uh, economical uh, monies. And sanctuaries are becoming a thing of the past and they're being replaced with all-purpose buildings. And I understand that, and I'm not really preaching against that tonight. I understand you know, and the argument is, well, you use the sanctuary one hour, you know, a week, and uh, this building could be used. And I understand all that. And I'm okay with all that. But all I'm saying is, but there was in the mindset of the people that because it was to be God's building, it should be unique. It should be glorious. It should be awe-inspiring. It should be somehow suitable him. I personally am thankful for this building. And I appreciate the fact that we have a sanctuary. It could be more ornate, but it is, I think, a kind of quiet elegance. I think it's got the balance between practical and and, uh, frugalness, and at the same time, trying to demonstrate the, the magnificence of God. But the city, you see, that's why the streets of gold. It's not for us. It's for him. It's befitting. So the city is magnificent for it is the dwelling place of God. Revelation 2, 21.3 And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Revelation 21.22 
And I saw no temple therein, for Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Uh, His presence is there. So, life in the New Jerusalem. First, worship in the New Jerusalem. There is no need for a temple to worship in. I saw no temple therein, for Lord God Almighty, the Lamb, was the temple of it. In the Old Testament, Solomon said, But who was able to build him a house, seeing the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain him? Who am I then that I should build him a house, save only to burn sacrifice before him? And it came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all Solomon's desire, which he was pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time, as he had appeared unto him at Gibeon. And the Lord said unto him, I have heard your prayer and thy supplication, and thou hast made before me, I have hallowed this house, which thou hast built, to put my name there, for ever and my name and mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. So in the Old Testament, the temple represented the presence of God. But it only ever represented the presence of God. Solomon, in dedicating the temple, knew that this house couldn't contain God. This house couldn't contain God. But it represented the presence of God. And so let me say one more thing to you about the church and about the building. Because I hear people often say that the church is not a building, it's people. That's half right. A church is a people, and a church is a building. Never lose sight of the truth that where two or three are gathered together in his name, there is the presence of God in the midst of him. I submit to you that in coming to church, we meet with God in a way that we can't meet with him in our private devotions. That we really anticipate the Spirit of God to work and to move as we gather together. And so we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Why? Because we are abandoning the presence of God. We really believe that he meets with his people in a building. Because they've come to worship. This city is a great city because God is there. Two, the presence of God fills the entire city. And the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God has illumined it. And its light and its lamp is the Lamb. So there's a difference in the new heaven and new earth. Uh, There's no need for a sun. There's no need for a moon. Uh, And... We have the same thing in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And it was the beginning and the ending, it was the first day. The sun, the moon, and stars is not created the fourth day. But we got three days of light without the sun and moon. We're going to have light in this new Jerusalem. And that light is going to be the very presence of God. Both symbolically, light, And literally, light. B, the New Jerusalem will be central to life's endeavors. 
and the nations shall walk by its light. You see, there now is the figurative and the um, literal aspect. We're going to have illumination. And we're going to be able to see because God is going to give light. But he's not just giving illumination. He's giving understanding. He's giving truth. And we're going to walk in that truth. We're going to walk in that light. We are going to be obedient to our God. We're going to act wisely, justly, wholly, righteously. We're going to walk in God's truth. For we will know it fully. Revelation 21, 25. And in the daytime, for there shall be no night there, its gates shall never be closed, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. So that the surrounding nations, and again, they are all saved people, as we saw earlier in a, in a uh, portion, and they're going to bring their goods into this, this city. None of that is expanded in great detail. But I say to you, it is consistent with what I read throughout the scriptures that this new heaven and new earth is much like this earth and these heavens, except transformed. Uh, we're not, the, the idea that all we do is attend a never ending worship service is wrong. Uh, we are going to be walking in the truth. We're going to be living lives. Going in and out of the city. Bringing in wares. Perhaps buying and selling. Using our gifts. Our abilities. Constructing, creating. Even as God gave the responsibility to to Adam, uh, to create, to use the uh, materials, the gifts that he had given. We're going to exercise our gifts unreservedly, unabashedly. And the dwelling place of God is going to be central to all of our life. Just as our Christian faith ought to permeate every aspect of our, of our life, our work, our being, our play. Whatever it is, we ought to be walking in truth. Well, that day we will be. And the New Jerusalem will be the focal point of our existence. And see, the New Jerusalem will be consistent in its holiness. And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying. Now these words shall ever come into it. It's not that this New Jerusalem starts out great, starts out with nothing that defiles, and it starts out with nothing that is impure, and it starts out with nothing that uh, contaminates, but over a period of time it degenerates. When God created this earth, remember what he pronounced concerning this earth? It is good. Everything he made, it is good.
all the days of creation, it is good. But unfortunately, there was a fall. Unfortunately, that which was good was corrupted. It was defiled. But the new Jerusalem is never going to be defiled. Never going to be corrupted. It's holy from start to never ending. That is our existence. Never to sin again. Walking in the light of God's truth with God's people forever and ever. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the prospect of a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, a new dwelling, a new reality, a new existence. Lord, we long for a day in which we are free from sin and corruption and moral decay. We want to know you more fully. We want to behold you, O God. And we look forward to that day when we will know you fully, even as we are fully known. And we will walk in the light of your truth. We will understand all things. Mysteries will have been solved. Revelation will be complete. And we will ascribe to you the glory that you are worthy of. And we will now live new lives, fitted and appropriate. Lives that are dedicated to bringing you glory and dealing with one another in truth and verity. All that was intended for this world, but never happened. Oh Lord, we long for the day. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.